0: Hey everybody, welcome to Therapy for Humans, the podcast where if you're not careful, you might just pick up some tips on how to survive as a more or less psychologically intact human in the modern world. My name is Rowan, and I'll be your host. What's up, everybody? Episode 22. Thanks for hanging in with the erratic nature of my podcast. Actually, I got an email the other day that somebody specifically called that out, that they like that, so... That's a win for everybody, since I can't seem to stay on schedule or track with this, but I guess that's all right, at least for some of you. So, hope your summer's going well. We're in kind of full swing here. Durango, blue sky days, no rain, just a lot of sun, cool nights, warm days. Not much to complain about on that end. So I've been kicking around a bunch of different things for podcasts. I have a couple... Of like outlines done up I have one whole podcast on tattoos We'll get into that maybe next time Um, And I don't know I tend to like make random notes and, And see where they go And sometimes they go places Sometimes they don't Usually when I'm waiting for emails or voicemails from all of you. So I appreciate when they come in. Um, We're going to jump into an email here that's going to pretty much take up the whole podcast. Uh, We're going to call this the money issue. Uh, This person brought up some interesting stuff that I want to get into. So I'll read their email. They say three things I really appreciate about the podcast. One, I appreciate that it comes out erratically. When I see that you haven't updated for yet another week, I am relieved I don't know how to take that exactly, but they say, I can't wait for the next one, but you are helping me keep my digital diet. So, so yay. If I, I don't know, whatever I'm doing is working for you. Fantastic. Uh, Number two, I appreciate that it's so brief for the same reasons as above. I can't believe how much you cover in 18 to 20 minutes. And three, I appreciate that you swear on air. Well, I get that a lot. So yay for me and my potty mouth. Um, So topic requests. How about covering the topics of therapy and money? Here are some things I think about a lot. The common public perception. Why is therapy so expensive? It seems like a lot of people whine about this or some version of it. For example, in my 20s, I liked to, to run the but I can't afford therapy story. Why do you think people think what they think about fees? And then the practitioner's angle. In one of the episodes, I can't remember which one, but you were the client in the story seeing a terrible therapist. I do remember. I can't can't pull out the particular episode number, but I do remember talking about the therapist I had in the 90s. Anyway, so they go on to say, you briefly uh, said something about psychotherapy rates back in the 1990s and why, if adjusted, that they haven't grown since then. You said something along the lines of being a subject for another time. Can you say more about this? What is your therapist's perspective on fees? What's it been like, and what do you expect it to be like later in life to make a living as a therapist? So yes, I do remember that part, and I remember that I was paying $80 an hour for therapy from this totally fucking horrible therapist. I remember saying, I think at the time, that, She would just sit there sometimes in silence. She would leave me in silence for 40 minutes out of a 50-minute session. She would just sit there with a little blanket across her knee and drink her little hot water with lemon. Gosh, she was fucking terrible. Anyway, uh, the next thing they have to say in their email is, I have several established successful psychotherapist friends here in town. One of them once said to me, The clients I give a discount to, they get better more slowly. She also said that when she works with young adults whose parents want them in therapy and will pay for it, she nevertheless requires that the young adult client pay half of the fee themselves. A different therapist I know said, with a rueful laugh, that, he, that she always notices, notices it when her sliding scale clients show up in the office with new tattoos. Or the classic caricature drives an Audi, vacations in Europe and Hawaii, but can't afford therapy or thinks therapy is so expensive. So what do we call this stuff? Officially and unofficially? Is this the energetics of money? The psychodynamics of money? What other cool and trippy wisdom do you have for us about money and therapy? Okay, so this guy's name is Mike. He said it was okay to say that on the air. So thanks, Mike, for all of that. Um, I'm going to try to take it in some bites. So first, let's start with the first part about people thinking therapy is expensive. So it is. Therapy is expensive, or it can be, depending on where you're at financially. Um, you know, what what's uh, expensive to one person may not feel expensive to another, depending on how much money you have coming in. Um, I charge $100 for a 50-minute session, and if someone needs to come in every week for a while, that's a significant chunk of change. I honestly I don't know that I could afford $400 a month right now. Um, so I often think that people don't understand what it means when I say that I charge $100 an hour. A lot of folks... Who work hourly, you know, if they're making 18, 20, 14 dollars now or whatever, they plug that into their own sort of scenario of hourly rate and they think that I'm just making a fucking killing. So, first of all, let me clarify this a little bit. Uh, not to defend my, my rate, I think I'm very comfortable with my rate. I'm kind of in the middle of what people are charging around here, um, but uh, I don't see 40 clients a week not even close. I couldn't pull that off even if I wanted to, which I really don't. So the reality is I see anywhere from 12 to 20 clients a week. I usually spend about 50 minutes with them, uh, 75 minutes if it's a couple session. And then I need to write a note, which can take 10 to 20 minutes, depending on what happened in the session and all of that. Um, I also send reminder texts the day before, which just takes a few minutes, but you know, it takes a few minutes. Uh, sometimes clients call or text between sessions, and uh, I try to respond to those. And so that takes time, and I don't charge for that. So there can be a lot of time taken up outside of those 15 minutes that are directly related to that client. Um, The other part of that fee for session includes ongoing training, which I actually need to pay for, uh, which is required to keep my license in good standing. Uh, Continuing Education Units, CEUs, um, are required for me to do every two years uh, to keep my license active. Uh, I also research specific issues that I might feel like I need some extra info on. If a client is struggling with something and I feel like I don't know enough about it or I haven't had enough experience with it, then I'll you know, I'll, I'll buy a book or I'll get online and I'll see what I can find that might be helpful um, for the client and I as we move forward together. So the last part is this sort of nebulous thing that takes up my time outside of session, and that's the time I spend thinking about, worrying about, ruminating on, and silently cheering on my clients. I care about every one of them, and many of them are struggling in pretty serious ways, which is why they come to me in the first place. You know that feeling when a friend or family member is struggling with something and you find your mind kind of constantly wandering back to them throughout your day? Same for me, but I carry... 20 of them at a time, usually. And so, and I'm not looking for sympathy here. I signed up for this shit, and I love my work. I'm also pretty careful about how I carry my clients so it doesn't drown me. Otherwise, I couldn't keep doing this. But even so, I inevitably carry a lot of them with me, and it's hard to put a price on that. So, I don't know. Suffice to say that some of what could reasonably assumed to be downtime, time off, time when I'm not technically working, I am chewing on how best to help a client through whatever it is they're going through. So, there you go. That's a bit about the so called hourly fee that I charge. Man, when I lay it all out like that, I think maybe I need to raise my prices. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not raising my prices. Um, as far as what that looks like later in life in terms of making a living as a therapist, um, I don't see the fees for this changing a whole lot. They haven't changed a whole lot. I think that. You know, we're kind of at a point where most of us are charging what the what the market will bear, so to speak. Um, the main benefit for me as I get older, I think, is um, that I hope to do this work for a long time to come. I think, unlike many careers, therapists can increase in value as they age. Each client teaches us something. Each new experience is a potential new tool that we can bring to the table. So my hope, that is in my seventies and possibly beyond, this work work will continue in some fashion, as long as my thinky parts and my brain keep functioning more or less as they do now. Um, and I, I've I know I've mentioned before in other podcasts that one of the best therapists I ever had was in her eighties. She was amazing. So um, I don't. I don't really want to be working in my eighties, but if I have to be, I feel like again, as long as cognitively, I'm still with it. Um, I could see a couple clients a week and, you know, make a few hundred bucks and whatever, buy more bourbon. Um, so you mentioned in your email that I recalled paying $80 an hour back in the nineties. So we I just talked about that. Um, and the fact that this hasn't shifted much since then. So, I don't really know what else to say about that other than there is a limit to what can be reasonably charged. Some of that is regional. I think if I lived in San Francisco, I'd probably charge two to three times what I do in Durango, but I still don't think that would offset the cost of living in that area. So, you know, I think regionally there are some shifts. Um, There's also the, you know, the whole online therapy thing is kind of big now. Um, It's illegal for most individual therapists like myself to work across uh, state lines because of licensing licensing issues. Um, But there are uh, companies now that you can work for that um, will plug you into people all over the country and you sort of just do these phone calls and Skype sessions or whatever. Um, And I don't know what that looks like in terms of uh, what they're charging. But anyway, let's move on. So let's talk about sliding scale and whether or not I judge my clients around what else they spend their money on. So you mentioned a few things that therapists friends of yours say about their sliding scale clients. Uh, personally, I only have so many clients that can be on a sliding scale at any given time. If I had all of my clients on a sliding scale, I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. And so there's just a certain number that, that I can do that with. And if somebody needs that and they're all taken up, then I can't really do anything about that. Um, I've also revisited the fee structure with a client when I feel like the client's financial situation has changed to the point where they may be able to pay more or pay the full amount, Um, especially if I do have other clients that I know are struggling who are already paying the full amount that maybe I can slide them down a little bit. So um, there is some negotiation there. And of course, I do notice if a client shows up with a new tattoo or tells me about a purchase they made that might seem unnecessary to me, um, you know, $7 coffee drinks are Something that definitely catch my eye when a client comes in with one, um, if they're on a sliding scale. But here's the deal. I don't feel that I have the right to judge those things. So yes, I notice them, but that's my shit, and it doesn't belong to them. Um, I've talked about this a lot. What's your shit? What's not your shit? What's somebody else's shit? Don't get involved with it. There have been plenty of times in my life, maybe even this week, and it's only Tuesday, that I bought something that I could have done without. At the expense of something, maybe, that might have been more logical or more responsible But I wanted that other thing, and it made me happy, at least in that moment. So when a client that's on a sliding scale shows up with a $7 coffee, I remind myself that there's a lot in their life that sucks right now, and that that thing in their hand is hitting all kinds of pleasure centers in their brain. And maybe it's even giving them a short break from the stresses of their job, or their marriage, or their own mental illness. That $7 worth of caffeine and sugar may very well be bringing them more joy than this therapy session they're in right now. Probably is, in fact. So that's part one of why I don't judge those choices. Part two is that I negotiated a price of our session with them that I was comfortable with. One of the benefits of having been self-employed for so long is that I don't agree to payment terms that I don't like. No one's going to talk me into a fee that I'm going to regret later. Once that deal is set, it's set, and I don't spend any time second-guessing it or scoping out my clients' choices to see if they are putting money into something that they should have been coming, that should have been coming to me. That feels like a shitty way to see your client. No offense to your therapist friends. I try to operate off of Carl Rogers' concept of unconditional positive regard for my clients, and that kind of judgment is completely incongruent with that perspective. So, next piece. Uh, so, let's talk about paying for something so nebulous to begin with. How do we quantify therapy? I've had a few clients ask me to sell them when they initially contact me. Usually they're men coming from the corporate world and they want me to tell them why they should hire me. I generally don't fall into that. Uh, not that it's an unreasonable question. It's a totally reasonable question, but it's hard to take that mentality and apply it to therapy, especially in an initial phone conversation when I've, I've never met them. I don't know anything about what's going on for them. So I couldn't really possibly give them a good clear answer on why you should hire me and and I just I don't like that whole, you know, whatever. Sell me on yourself. Tell me why you should hire me. I'm like, no, fuck off. What I usually say is I usually turn it back on them. I usually offer a free 15-minute in-person consult and and then uh tell them that they will need to be the ones to determine the potential gains of our meetings and Honestly, I don't know, not to toot my own horn, but it's very rare when someone sits with me for one of those initial consults and doesn't end up engaging in more sessions with me. Um, It happens. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I've said that before. It's totally fine. Um, But usually, if they sit with me and we can talk about what's going on and I can kind of throw some ideas at them in terms of how I might approach their issue... Um, that's enough to get them to come back a few more times to see if they want to engage in more long-term therapy. So anyway, you know, in most financial track transactions, uh, you know what you're going to receive for your money. You, you know, maybe you've done some research or whatever, you've read reviews, you know what you're paying for, you know what you're going to get. Therapy just doesn't roll like that. It's a leap of faith. In general, I think my clients tend to leave my office feeling better than when they came in. Uh, But I know that that's not always the case, uh, especially on a day-to-day basis. Therapy is a process, and sometimes it shakes stuff loose that's uncomfortable. That's kind of the point, and it's not always fun. So in general, you tend to get out of therapy what you are willing to put into it. But that doesn't mean the therapist doesn't have a big part to play in that. Our role is to act as a guide to make sure the client is seeing things clearly and to sometimes urge them into areas that may be uncomfortable or unfamiliar But the client needs to be willing, and they need to get curious about their own lives and about what's working and what's not. So the other piece of this is the relationship between us, between the client and the therapist. And it can take a while to develop the necessary trust to get into the really deep material. And paying for that, paying for the time to build that relationship can feel kind of funky sometimes. We're not friends, but you may confide in me in ways that feel familiar to that kind of relationship. Some people like the exchange of money because it feels safer to them. They pay me and then we're in a professional relationship without some of the risks of more personal relationships. I'm not gonna betray your trust. I'm not gonna share your secrets. I'm not gonna try to get you into bed. Our relationship exists outside of social and professional life that you may have going on. So this gives the client a measure of safety, but it can also feel counterintuitive at times because it is an intimate relationship. And I've talked about this before, and it's definitely worth repeating. When you tell someone your deepest fears, your secret desires, your most personal things, it's fucking intense. And for many of my clients, it's more intimate in some ways than sex feels to them. And by intimate, I mean vulnerable. And the level of trust that exists in those moments is palpable and it exists beyond a financial arraignment, arrangement. And yet, at the end of the session, payment is required, and that's what can feel weird. I often suggest that a client put a credit card on file so they don't have to whip out their wallet at the end of the session. That can feel off. It can kind of, I don't know, kind of break the spell, if you will, of what we've just sort of been doing together. Um, and often, honestly, it's just not necessary, you know, especially after a particularly intense session, um, when we can take care of that sort of, uh, separately from, from our, our face-to-face experience, um, and also, I mean, on my end, more than once, I'll be walking a client to the door, and and all of a sudden, remember that that I need to get paid. That they don't have a card on file, um, or they'll bring it up, uh, because I've forgotten. It's because we were both so caught up in the emotional exchange that just happened, that that financial piece feels very far away from what just transpired. So when I have a card on file, they can leave and. You know, I can pull up the file and charge their card and they don't have to be part of that process right there. It's not in their face. It doesn't intrude into our experience. Um, know, side note, I guess, you know, I spent five years as a massage therapist and I got to say that in terms of fee-for-service therapy is more comfortable on my end than massage was. Um, I had massage clients that definitely felt like the payment part of the exchange gave them access to me in ways that were not on the table, so to speak. It felt like a power play, especially with women of a certain age and socioeconomic class. They got off on getting naked and then paying me to touch them. I never strayed from my professional ethics in terms of the type of touch I was giving, but often the way they received the touch was another matter. It felt weird to me. Um, And again, it's an intimate experience, but our culture sucks so bad when it comes to therapeutic touch that for many there is an element of sexuality present that really doesn't belong in the room. Um, and then you add the exchange of money to the mix and shit can get weird really fast. So I don't know. I like this work better. It's not for everyone. And I have no idea what that has to do really with what we're talking about (laughs) other than paying for some things can feel weird in a lot of different directions. And therapy is no exception to that. It might even be the poster child. So the last piece of your email is about the energetics of money. Um, I have had clients call money like green energy, um, not like solar or wind power, but that the exchange of cash is really an exchange of energy, uh, of effort given in some direction and then received back in this form. I do think payment is important to get a deeper level of buy-in from the client. Um, I'm intrigued by your therapist friend insisting that young adults help to pay for their therapy. Honestly, I can't see that happening with most of my adolescent clients, but I totally get where they're coming from. Um, I think half is a lot to ask for, from a young adult, but, um, again, that's their call. Um, And, you know, I don't do mandated work for this reason as well. I want my client to want to be there. That's an absolute for me. Um, If they don't want to be there, I don't want them there. And so if a parent or someone else is paying for therapy for my client, which certainly happens, I need to make sure that they really want this experience. If they're just trying to make someone else happy to get them off their back, then I usually ask them to find another therapist. Okay, so that's the money issue. I hope it was good for you. I know it was good for me. Um, it was a great email I appreciate the email it got me thinking about a lot of different uh things that I haven't thought about recently in terms of money and therapy and weirdness and what I charge and why I charge it and what I think about that and um, yeah so thanks for the email thanks for listening and um, yeah next time I think we're going to talk about tattoos I'm in the process of getting a new chunk of work done and uh, it got me thinking about tattooing in general and why it has exploded so much and what it means to the people who get them and, and what it means to people who don't understand it <laughs> um, it has nothing to do with therapy really but i'm going to talk about it for a while next time so until then take care of yourself and take care of each other